0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined by Josh Newman, Utes rider, covers the Utes for the Salt Lake Tribune. Josh, good morning.
1: Good morning, boys. How are you? Good.
0: Are you happy that you are going to be covering football instead of health and politics?
1: Yes. Yeah. No, I've done my little fair share of uh, helping out our news team with COVID while staying busy with some stuff on the sports end, but... Yeah, you know, the news yesterday felt like something of a return to normalcy. We are pushing steadily optimistically towards the football season. Yes. So, uh, it was a good day yesterday for myself and my fellow uh, and my fellow reporters.
2: Josh, I want to ask you about Mark Harlan and the job that he's done through all of this, but I want to I want to preface it by saying uh, we Gordon and I on the afternoon show we're talking about this in regards to Tom Holmo, how poor Kalani Satake when the, the army game was canceled, had to field all these questions that really have nothing to do with him. And Tom Homo was nowhere really to be heard. Mark Harlan on the other side, it, it seems like he's been available through all of this answering questions and, and really being out in front and leading and, but he's still fa- fairly new on the job, obviously give me kind of your take on how he's handled this from a leadership standpoint.
1: I think throughout this whole thing, I really do believe that Mark Harlan has been a pretty effective leader. Um, now remember, Utah is a is a very large public school, so uh, to some extent Mark Harlan does have to be transparent, he has to be out there, he does have to be um, answering questions as the athletic director at a public university, but I, I do feel like he's gone uh, mostly beyond what the minimum expectations would be. I think he's done a good job of um, of dealing with the media, people like myself, and answering questions um about a whole variety of things especially on the financial side of things as uh as utah is is dealing with a very large deficit in their fiscal operating budget the only thing that i've kind of really gotten on him about is you know they have not made um they have not made positive tests and 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 what's going on with that they really haven't made that um open to the public they've been reporting positive tests to the department of health which is what they are required to do by law but they haven't really made those numbers and those positive tests um, available to the public. But look, aside from that, yes, I I, I do believe he's been uh, very effective in dealing with a great many things that have been on his plate every day.
0: So as the news breaks, there was one report, and I only saw it one place, and that was a 24-7 website report uh, on the UCLA Bruin page that the original vote was 7-5, to they had the five descending schools, and the USC uh, threatened to go independent, and Utah threatened to join the Big 12. Now that seems hyper-aggressive to me. I always thought this was going to get worked out. I wouldn't think it would come to that. Do you have any indication of uh, how true, whether it's completely true, partially true, a little bit true, how true that report is?
1: The seven to five voting, I can say, yeah, the seven to five voting is accurate. I have, I've talked to more than a few people since, since yesterday afternoon, I I have no indication from anybody that Utah was seriously threatening to one, to leave the Pac-12 and two, to, uh, to join the big 12. That is completely unfounded as far as I can tell.
2: That seven to five vote, Josh, what do you think whipped those last five votes?
1: Oh, who who's to say that those votes did get whipped into place look if you have the majority uh you have the majority and once you have that you present a unified front and of course you're going to say that it's unanimous and we're all on the same page and we're all in lockstep nobody's to say that it got whipped around to 12-0 it it, it might have stayed seven to five but look welcome to college athletics that's how these things work everybody gets along everybody's on the same page. Once you have the majority, you absolutely present yourselves as being on the same page, and, and you present yourselves as a unified front, which the Pac-12 has been doing all along, right? We kept hearing, well, maybe November 7th, uh, maybe October 31st. Some schools can be ready sooner than others. Some schools want to play on Halloween. But now, the whole time, they presented a unified front, and that's what they're doing now. We're all going to start together on the weekend of, of November 6th. And that's just what it is. I think that's a good job by the league to, uh, to present itself that way.
0: The five were UCLA, Stanford, Cal, Washington, and Colorado originally. Do you think that, I know some fans are disappointed that there isn't football in October, but do you think part of bringing the five around is, okay, we'll push it back, we'll give you an extra week, because that's really what some of you are worried about?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that's very, very plausible. Look, you got to remember, Um, the L.A. County schools, UCLA and and USC, they they might have the green light now from their local governments, but they haven't done anything. They haven't been practicing this whole time. Uh, Stanford and Cal still are not able to do anything. So, uh, yeah, you back everything up a week. You give everybody um, six weeks to get on the same page. Uh, Everybody has to, you know, get in pads and get in helmets, and they have to take contact, and there has to be tackling your – you know, you're trying to do this as, um, as safely and as prudently as possible, and that includes getting the kids, you know, in order, you know, again, tackling the physicality of the sport. So, yeah, you back everything up a week. And, look, there's no – look, let's call a spade a spade, right? The, you know, the pandemic is – it's still a problem. It hasn't gone anywhere, but you're, you're doing this in a manner where you're giving everybody six weeks – hopefully ample time to get on board and get ready to safely play football. So to that extent, yeah, give everybody, you know, the extra week, everybody gets six weeks and hopefully, hopefully on November 6th, everybody's ready to kick off.
2: So, DJ and I were laughing earlier about uh, Washington State and the situation they're in uh, with Nick Rolovich and half the team transferred, uh, with, you know, as often happens with, with coaching changes and how uh, they're going to be at a bit of a disadvantage because um, new system, new coach, et cetera, new players. Uh, with Utah, it's they're they're replacing a lot of players, but of course the the culture and the coaches and all that have been in place for a long, long time. Will that give Utah a bit of an advantage, not only having a, a, a returning coach, but a coach that's been... Been there forever, and and those systems in place that will help them weather the storm.
1: Oh, I think that absolutely is a is a massive advantage for Utah. Um, you know, like you said, they're replacing nine starters uh, on defense. You still have to figure out who the uh, who the quarterback is, uh, who gets the lion's share of carries out of the backfield. But look, head coach stayed. It's the same offensive coordinator in Andy Ludwig. Uh, Morgan galley has been there forever as their. Um, as their D coordinator. So, um, it's a culture. It's a continuity. And yeah, I think that's a big advantage over, um, over places like Colorado with a new head coach, Washington State with a new head coach. And listen, you know, the, the national polls, they don't mean much. But remember, despite all the personnel that Utah lost, the people voting in the Associated Press poll, uh, still voted them. Top 25 to start the season, sight unseen, despite all the personnel, and then I, I think that speaks. Uh, I think that speaks greatly to what Kyle Whittingham has built here. That the AP voters are, you know, giving Utah the benefit of the doubt, and they voted them number 22 to start the year.
0: Josh Newman, Ute's writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, join us here on 97.5 and 1280, the Zone. So five games in the division, one crossover game. I'm assuming that the the California schools have great rivalries. They love to play each other. Those games are a big deal, and the TV networks will always embrace uh, two teams from top ten markets playing each other. So I assume we're going to see Stanford and USC and UCLA versus Cal. That leaves very few options. Do you think to uh, make TV networks happy, they have a rematch of the Pac-12 title game, and it's Utah and Oregon? Or do you think to... uh, promote some of their elite teams with better records that they make sure that, uh, you know, Oregon's playing May, Arizona or Colorado and Utah's playing uh, Washington State. How How's that going to work for that last game?
1: I'd probably go with the former just because, you know, again, um, Utah, Oregon, as you said, rematch of last season's Pac-12 title game. And aside from that, that's just two elite teams in the league, right? I, I think... Uh, you know despite all the scheduling craziness and a late start yeah Oregon is still probably you know the consensus pick to um to win the Pac12 going in um USC is you know two two three Utah's kind of in that two three class so yeah from a from a matchup standpoint from uh from an attractiveness standpoint uh what might play well on TV yeah i could see i could see uh, Oregon and Utah playing again uh, you know, that one, that one crossover game, that is really kind of the fascination right now, right? To see who plays who, and obviously that's going to count in the standings towards a, a division title, who gets to go to the Pac-12 title game. So, uh, to me, yeah, from a scheduling standpoint, that, that is certainly the fascination right now. We know that Utah will play the rest of the South Division, and then, and yeah, it's a matter of who, who from the North they're going to play during their regular season, and, you know, that's going to have, major, major ramifications towards um, a South Division title.
2: Josh, Gordon and I yesterday got in kind of a random discussion, and I, I'm curious to your, your mm-hmm. thoughts on it. I know they haven't decided a media strategy or whether beat writers are going to get to go to the games. We know there's, there's going to be no fans. But do you, are you hoping that uh, you're allowed to go to the games and cover them in person? Or um, I guess do you think you can provide the same coverage with the Zoom calls and those sorts of things?
1: You certainly, you certainly cannot provide the same level of coverage by not being there, right? Um, Zoom calls and phone calls and FaceTimes, you're, the, the fan is not getting the same level of coverage with that versus if I'm allowed to be in the press box or in the stadium. Um, and look, uh, as a beat writer, I understand why I would not be allowed to be in a press box in a stadium you're trying to limit the virus. You're trying to eliminate as many variables as possible. Um, I hope that, at least at Utah, that they will allow some semblance of home media to be in the press box. You know, we all live local. Um, you know, I'm not going into a different state and, and potentially spreading, you know, the virus. Or So we'll see. You know, it sounds like um, my understanding is most of these Pac-12 schools um, as of now, most of these Pac-12 schools will allow some semblance of media, but it's unclear right now if these Pac-12 venues will allow visiting media. So, you know, that's one of, uh, that's one of many questions that, you know, that still need to be worked out here. But I do hope that, at least at Utah, I, I, I do hope they will allow at least some home media in there.
0: You know, there's the information you get, uh, you know, quotes on the record in, a, in official, you know, interviews, press conferences or whatever. Uh, but a lot of reporting is building rapport with people, which happens over dozens of informal interactions. And so for people who don't do this for a living, who don't understand, I, I personally listen to you talk about this, that, yes, I totally get why you would want to be there. But I would also say that being in a press box now, while it would be helpful, I'm certain that they're going to limit it to, I don't know what it'll be, a third, a quarter of the normal people who are in the press box, it'll be some number, and it'll be drastically reduced, which means the other people who aren't there, you may not have as many informal interactions with. It's it's going to be limiting one way or another. The question is, how much are you going to be limited?
1: Yeah, no, that's very well said. And Look, you've been in this market you know, for a long time. Someone like me, look, I've been here nine months. <laughs> um, I have not covered a football season yet. I have not covered a football game as a beat writer. Um, look, I was looking forward to to spring practice, you know, to have those face to face conversations and build that rapport and build those relationships. And I only got three practices in, so that was tough. Uh, we're not going to have any access to you know to preseason practice, as you just said. Anything going on in the press box? Uh, on game day, on the field, it's going to be severely limited. So for somebody like me, it's it's been a little difficult to you know to build that rapport in this market. But look, this is where we are. Um, we're going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with it as best I can. Uh, other people can judge my work. I feel like I've done a pretty effective job of you know of building some rapport and and building relationships and and, um, and reporting the news and doing a good job on this beat. Um, Hopefully, hopefully at some point we can get back to some normalcy, uh, especially on game day. You know that that is certainly one thing that I that I have missed about the job in general throughout this pandemic is the lack of face-to-face interaction. You know, shake somebody's hand, look them in the eye, have a conversation, uh, have an off-the-record conversation. So um, hopefully, you know, it's probably not going to happen still anytime soon but I'm hoping at some point we can get back to you know the normal times especially on a game day.
2: I'm only slightly trying to kiss up here Josh but I think your coverage <laughs> has been uh, has been really it's been really great. I got to give you credit. I mean this is a situation nobody's ever been through on the on the radio side as you can imagine it's had its unique challenges but I can't imagine you know covering a program on a daily basis. You're a beat guy. Your job is to to pump out stories and <laughs> you know it's it's tough when we're going through all this so I got to give you credit but uh we've all been talking about football throughout all this you know grabs the headlines but basketball also got to go ahead uh November 25th I want to say the uh, start date what is that going to look like exactly is it going to be as business as usual as close to or how are they going to be in a scramble the schedule close games how how is that going to work
1: so it's definitely not going to be business as usual um just from the Utah perspective um everything was on hold because now remember the Pac-12 had a mandate that said no sports at all until at least January 1st. Um, so Utah's basketball schedule was kind of in limbo. So now what's going to happen is, okay, the Pac-12 has now backed off that January 1st mandate. So now Larry Kostoviak arrives at the starting line. Okay. He has the green light now to go ahead and craft a schedule beginning November 25th. Um, Multi-layered deal now, okay, they, the Pac-12 needs to figure out um, how many conference games and when they're going to play those conference games. Originally, the league was supposed, to play, uh, was supposed to play 20 league games with two happening in December. It's unclear if they're going to stick with 20. Uh, it could be 18. It could be 20. Those are the two options. So once you kind of have you know, that framework, how many conference games, then you can start the business of laying out your non-conference games. Uh, Utah was supposed to go to Battle for Atlantis in the Bahamas. Uh, That event has essentially picked up and moved to South Dakota. Uh, Indications are that Utah will participate in that South Dakota-Atlantis event. So that's three games. And then you're really going to have to figure out what to do with, you know, the other three or four non-conference slots you have, right? Uh, Utah had, you know, a 10-game non-conference schedule, Pre-pandemic, five of them were at the Huntsman Center. They were supposed to go to BYU. They were supposed to go to Missouri. So uh, a lot of things to iron out. Um, I think what you will see is just based on conversations, I think a lot of those one-off guarantee games that were supposed to be at the Huntsman Center against teams like Utah Valley and Fresno State uh, and uh, and Cal State Fullerton, I think you're going to see a lot of that get pushed to next season because there's only a limited number of spaces to fill now so they're really going to have to you know play some chess and figure out what works and what doesn't but um look at least we have a green light at least we can start talking about basketball and you know i i do expect this whole scheduling thing at utah to to get resolved pretty quickly here so hopefully we have some clarity on that very soon
0: I hope they stick with 20 conference games. I thought that was a great decision by them going 18-20. Yep. to 20. Conference games are routinely more interesting than non-conference games, and I really feel like that's two more home-and-homes. Honestly, I'd be okay if they went to 22. I don't think they'll do that. I don't think I'll ever see it, but I'd be okay with it if they did it.
1: I-, I love the conference games. 22 would make a lot of sense, and that was on the table there for a while. They were talking about 22, and what 22 would accomplish is it's a true round robin, yes, right? Yeah, All. Right. All teams would play everybody home and away I think that would solve a lot of scheduling problems Um, conversely not that anybody's really worried about that but the more conference games somebody like the Pac-12 plays that eliminates opportunities for smaller schools to get these buy games at these major yep at at these major schools because there's just less um, there's just less slots to fill so um, I'm with you there I would like to see 22 I don't see that happening and I'm also with you. I do like the move to 20. You play two in December. You know, you, know, you get it cranked up. You get the interest. So um, I do expect it to stay at 20 um, once the dust settles. But we're going to see. You know, Larry Scott said yesterday uh, that 18 was on the table, 20. So we'll see what happens with that.
0: Josh, we appreciate a few minutes. And uh, hopefully you get to cover football games at some point because it's, it's really weird. You've been here nine months. And you haven't been to a football game yet. Crazy. <laughs> All right, man. Stay safe, guys.